right, Victory Church. Man, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be continuing on in our Radical Sermon series. We kicked this off last week with a sermon titled Radical God, where we talked about how the God of the impossible lives in us and wants to work in radical ways in and through our lives. And this week, we're continuing on in that sermon series with a sermon titled Radical Pursuit. Radical Pursuit. The big idea today is the God of the universe radically pursues us and calls us to radically pursue him. The God of the universe radically pursues us and calls us to radically pursue him. So guys, I want you to think back with me for a moment. Back when you were younger, maybe you were in high school. For some of you, this might apply right now, which is okay. But I want you to think to that guy or that girl that you pursued. You just were lovesick, love crazy over. You just pursued them in radical ways. Started acting crazy and goofy and stuff. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you're pursuing that crush just radically, it can take the dumbest dude that hates English class and he starts becoming this like Shakespeare wannabe. He starts quoting things like Baby, your eyes remind me of the ocean. Every time I see you, I see blue. Every time I step into the room, that's the color of my mood. And it, I don't know, I'm trying to wing this here, and that was horrible. I just <laughs> devastated that one. That is a David Tripp original. If you guys want to use that, I wouldn't, but use it appropriately. But, <laughs> but with that said, man, how often do we pursue a person? Just, I mean, with everything that we have, we just try to radically pursue them, get lovesick, love crazy over people. But let me ask you something. How often do we see people acting that way towards God? How often do we radically pursue Jesus Christ who radically pursues us? Because guys, if the God of the universe radically pursues us, then don't you think that we should radically pursue him in return? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just anoint this sermon right now. Anoint this worship service, God. I pray that you speak in and through this broken vessel. I pray that the the things that are coming out of my mouth, that they penetrate our hearts, God. I pray that uh, chains would be broken in this room, that walls would be torn down in the name of Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that we can feel your spirit, your presence so tangible in this place. I pray that it's so thick in this place that we cannot leave this place without knowing that we have encountered the God of the universe. And I pray that you resonate in our hearts and our minds, that you are with us wherever we go. When we are in Christ, that you are with us wherever we go because your spirit is inside of us. God, I pray just a special blessing over this place in this time right now. Speak to us and help these words become more than just words that we hear, but a love language that's lived out. We pray all these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to be talking about a few guys that radically pursued God. A few guys in the Bible, and we're going to kick this off with three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So let's check this out, starting with Daniel 1, verses one through seven. In the year in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and notice it's little G, his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. 
He was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them from the Judaites were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them, them new names. He gave them the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. So these guys were born in Jerusalem, and they were living it up, man. They had the life until these dudes from Babylon just came in and ruined everything. Or at least that's what it would seem, isn't it? But the truth is, when we understand the context of us and the backstory, what we would see is that the Israelites actually brought this on themselves. It was a series of bad choices where they had brought this on to themselves. And we're seeing the repercussions of their own decisions and their own actions. And how often do we do the same thing? How often do we, you know, make these decisions and these choices where we're pursuing our own selfish ambitions rather than God? And then we're so quick to blame God for the results of that, aren't we? We're so quick to just blame him because of the things that are going on in our life. But I'm going to tell you something, guys. The struggles that we face, the heartaches, the pains, that's not a result of what God has done to us. That's a result of what we have done through our sinful and selfish decisions and the actions, the repercussions of those, or the sinful, selfish decisions of other people around us. Because the God of the universe did not create a world where we'd have to endure pain and hardship and you know all these different things that we struggle with and the, the, the sufferings that go on. He didn't create that kind of a world. That world was created by us through the sinful actions, the decisions that we have caused. And this is the result. But we blame him so often. Let's keep reading in this story. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Let's keep on down to verse 4 here. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded, when you hear the sound of the horn, Flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you were to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Man, so here we see this crazy king building this giant statue, and he wants everybody to bow down and worship it. And if that's not enough, this crazy dude also makes it out of gold. And it's like, dude, could you not have thought of anything better to do with all this gold? Like, were you really that rich, that wealthy, and that bored, where you woke up one day and you were like, hey guys, I got a great idea. I got a great idea. Let's take all this gold over here, and let's make a giant statue, and make everybody bow down and worship it. This dude was nuts, man. He was crazy. But I'm going to ask you something. How often do we follow in those similar footsteps? How often do we take things like wealth or power or material possessions and we start radically just pursuing them with everything we have? We start worshiping those things rather than worshiping God. How often do we do that in our life? How often do we even pursue our own struggles, the things that give us pain, more than we pursue God? How often do we act like this crazy king here? And if that's not enough, this crazy nutso king, he also says that if anybody does not bow down to this statue, that they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and burned to death. Let's keep on reading and see what happened here. Daniel 3, verse 12. All right. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to see what they, how they responded to this. Daniel 3, verse 12. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. After this king, afterwards, this king confronts them, man. He, he is so mad because he finds out that these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're refusing to bow down to this statue. They refuse to. So this king confronts them himself because he knows them. They've been trained up. He's been, they've been working in his palace. He confronts them and says, if you don't bow down to this statue right now, you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. You will be burned to death. Bow down right now. So let's check out what these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do. In the face of adversity, with this king telling them that he's going to throw them into this fiery furnace, they are going to be burned to death if they don't bow down to this idol. This is Daniel 3, 17 through 18. If we, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talking here. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from it, from your majesty's hand. But even if, let me say that again, even if, one more time because this is huge, even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Man, these men said, even if, in the face of adversity, in the face of fear, in the face of the impossible, and as Christians, we are called to do the same. We're called to do the same, guys. To say, even if, even if everybody else around me laughs at me and ridicules me, even if I have to suffer, even if I struggle, even if nobody else follows, even if everybody abandons me and it seems harder than I can handle, I still will follow. I still will follow you, Jesus, no matter what, because I know that I know that I know that you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You are right here with me. Even if my Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, I still will follow. And that's what we are called to do as well, guys. Daniel 3, 23 through 28. Let's keep on going here. And these men, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into that fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors of the king's advisors gathered around them, they saw that the fire had no effect on the body of these men. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Not a hair, guys. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Not even a smell. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except for their own. These guys refused to turn their back on God. They refused. They said, Even if, no matter what may come my way, I still will follow. No matter what may happen, I still will will follow. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. When we follow after Christ, when we look in the face of adversity and we say, without flinching, I still will follow Jesus. It may be scary. I may not know what's going on, but I'm still going to follow. I'm going to tell you something. You can go through the hottest fire that this world has to offer, and you won't even smell like smoke when you get to the other side. 
You won't even smell like smoke, guys, because our God can deliver us. He will deliver us. And guess what? He already has delivered us. There is no fire, no struggle, no situation, no no chain, no shackle, nothing that this world can ever throw at us that the God of the universe has not already overcome. Because when you are in Christ Jesus, you are already victorious. You're already victorious. He has already overcome it. And you want to know who that fourth person was in that fire? There were four people. He only threw three in. That was Jesus. That was Jesus. Jesus not only saved them, he got into the fire with them. He got into the fire right there with them. And he overcame the fire so much so that not even a hair on their head was burned. That's the God that we serve, guys. That's the God that we serve. He doesn't just save us. He steps into the situation with us, and he protects us. They still had to go into the fire, but he protected them. That's the God that we serve, guys. I want to switch gears here, and I want to talk about one more man that had this even if attitude. No matter what, no matter what may come my way, I still will follow. Let's check this out in Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats. What are you going to do with 7,000 sheep? 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children to purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Regular practice. Here we see a man. He has incredible wealth, um, incredible riches. He's just a great man of God, very well liked, very well respected within his community. And this is his regular practice, not just in every, every once in a while type of thing. He's an incredible man, has a great life, and he has a great family. And literally, he has a great big family. He's got seven sons and three daughters. I don't know how this dude kept up with all their names, man. That's just crazy. I got two kids, and between my two kids and my wife, I'm already doing the name dance, just bouncing back and forth. I have no clue how this guy kept up with it, but he had a, a great big family. He had all these people that respected him. He had it going on. He had the life, man. We're going to see what happened to this guy. In Job 1, 13 through 22. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another one came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the, <clears throat> with the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking. This is one after another after another. Happened, I mean, right there, back to back. Another, speak, another um, servant came up and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people, so they died. And I alone have escaped 
to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robes, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Job endured so much hardship, guys. So much. It's just unfathomable. He lost all of his riches, all of his wealth, all of his livestock, all these servants, and he lost seven children. Seven, all at once, in one day. I mean, think of one of the worst times in your life, one of the, the, the pits in your life, and you could probably multiply that by 10. That's what this dude went through. He went through so much more. And what's more is this guy didn't deserve it. The, the word tells us that he was a godly man. He, he, was, he was a man of, of, in, of, of complete integrity, is what the word tells us. Complete integrity. He did not deserve this. How often in our lives, though, can, when we're going through a struggle, we're going through a hardship, not all the time, but a lot of times we can trace back decisions that we've made that have led us to that point. But not this guy. This guy was a man of complete integrity. He didn't deserve what was going on. He was a godly man. Let's keep on reading this story to see what happens here. Job 2, 4 through 10. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan. He is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. This is his wife telling him this. Curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Regardless of all, regardless of absolutely everything, Job pursued God through this. Even when his wife told him to curse God and die, everything that has happened to this man, and his very wife tells him to curse God and die, but he refuses. And I love what he says to his wife here. She, he says, should we accept only good from God? and not adversity? Should we only accept good from God and not adversity? How often do we pursue God in the good times? How often do we praise and declare the name of Jesus when it's good? Like, thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. Thank you. I mean, that's when it's good. That's, that's when it's easy, when it's good. It's easy to praise God in the good times, but the, the trial comes and the test comes when it's hard, when it's hard to praise him, when we're in the middle of a struggle, when we're suffering, and yet we still cry out to him, praising his name, declaring his goodness. That's when the true test comes. And that's what we see Job doing here, relentlessly pursuing God, regardless of everything that he's lost and everybody that's turning their back on him. Let's keep on reading in this story because it doesn't end here. Job 19, 13 through 20. He has removed my brothers from me. This is Job talking here. My acquaintances have abandoned me. Everyone's abandoned this guy. My relatives stopped coming by, and my close friends have forgotten me. My house guests and female servants regard me as a stranger. I am a foreigner in their sight. I call for my servants, but he does not answer. Even if I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife, and my own family finds me repulsive. Even young boys scorn me. When I stand up, they mock me. All of my best friends despise me, and those I love 
have turned against me. My skin and my flesh cling to my bones. I have escaped with only the skin of my teeth. This man has lost so incredibly much. At this point, he has lost all of his riches, all of his wealth. He was a man of complete integrity. So this was a hard-working man that earned the riches and wealth that he had. And he's lost all of it. He's lost all of his livestock, all these servants, all of his children, seven children. And then on top of that, everyone else around him is abandoning him. His best friends are abandoning him. His very wife tells him to curse God and die. She tells him to die. And then to top all that off, he's got these boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I can't even imagine that. The boils alone would be enough to break most people. This guy has suffered through so much, so much. So at this point, let's see what this guy says. His response after everything that has happened in his life, how does he respond to God now? Job 19, 25 through 27. This is Job speaking. He says, but I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the dust even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him and not as a stranger. My heart longs within me. Regardless of all, Job refused to turn his back on God. No matter what came his way, Job said, even if, regardless of all, my God, I will not turn my back on you. I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful. And no matter what this world throws at me, I will not turn away. The last section of scripture I want to read here, Job 42, 12 through 17. We're going to see what ends up happening to this guy in the end. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named you, well, you can read those names right there. And verse 15, no women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be, could be found in all the land, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. Amazing. Job lost everything. Everything. This guy went through so much, but through it all, God never left him. He never left him. God restored him. He redeemed him, and he used Job in bigger ways than Job could have ever imagined. Job said, even if, regardless what may come my way, I will not turn my back on you. I will not, I will not turn my back on you. Because no matter what happens, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that you are good. I know that you are faithful. And no matter what comes my way, you will never fail me. Even in our brokenness, actually especially in our brokenness, God can still be seen in our life because through our brokenness, a lot of times, God's light shines through that. No matter what may be, coming, be going on in your life, the struggles, the issues, the hardships, God shines through those things because when we still declare the name of Jesus, when we still call out his goodness, when we still encourage other people no matter what is going on in our life, then people can't help but to see that. They can't help but to be impacted by that because your life is lived out as a statement of faith that 
my Redeemer does live, that he is good, that he will save me regardless of what's going on in this life. My God is good, and I will never turn my back on him. Even if the world crumbles around me, even if everybody else leaves me, no matter what may come my way, even if regardless of all, I will relentlessly pursue my God because I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he lives, and at last I shall see his face. So my question is, so why in the end, regardless of everything, regardless of absolutely everything, when we've been through that fire, why do we still pursue God radically with everything that we have? When we've lost so much, when it seems like everybody has turned their back on us, when it seems like there's no hope, why do we still radically pursue God? I got a video I want you guys to check out. And this is part of that story of Job. And this is what God says to Job. Let's check this out. I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. Will you not say anything else to me? He said, where were you the day that I measured? Sunk the base and stretched the line.
did not understand Things too wonderful for me Although I had no right to ask My God knelt and answered me We radically pursue God because he has radically pursued us regardless of all, regardless of everything. The person that gives us the greatest um, example of the even if attitude is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who said, even if, even if I have to come down from heaven and live a life of poverty and hardship as a man, even if I have to be laughed at and scorned and spat at, even if I have to be tortured, even if I have to die one of the most gruesome, painful deaths known to man, I still will radically pursue you, regardless of all, even if I still will radically pursue you. Guys, rather than being a people in a church that says to God, only if, let's instead be a people in a church that says to God, even if, regardless of all, even if, we will still radically pursue you because the God of the universe radically pursues us and calls us to radically pursue him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you have radically pursued us. You abandoned your very throne in heaven, God, to come down to earth in the form of a man to die for our sins. You risked everything, God, for us, radically pursuing us. And I thank you so much for the fact that you didn't give up on us, that you never give up on us. You love us so incredibly much. I pray that you resonate that into our hearts, into our minds. God, I pray that you help us be a people that radically pursues you with everything we have in us, God, with complete abandonment. Father, I pray that you break chains, you break down walls, any barriers in our life that are keeping us from you, God. I pray all these things in your mighty and precious name, Jesus. Amen.